This is Tech Talk with your host, Tom DiOria. Tom will spend the next hour making your life with technology a little easier with explanations of the different aspects of today's technology and how it can benefit your home, small office, or enterprise. Now here's your host, Tom DiOria. Welcome to IMI Tech Talk. It's the third Sunday of February. It's uh, February 16, 2014. I hope you all had a great uh, Valentine's Day and got everything you wanted. Um, if you're in New York, I hope you're enjoying all this snow and cold. Uh, and for those of us that are Yankee fans, Friday was pitchers and catchers. So it's about to start, thank goodness. Uh, we're on at 5 p.m. in New York and uh, New York listening area and 3 p.m. in Arizona. And today we're live from our New York offices, and we're going to be discussing a really interesting topic that I didn't know a lot about until we uh, researched the show, which is the technology, but the topic really is the share economy, not shared. Uh, we're not talking about Obamacare and things like that, but the share, sharing things economy. And our guest is going to be Robbie Baxter. I'm Tom DiOria. I'm the CEO of Information Methods Incorporated. And together with our weekly guest, our show will help our listeners, whether a business or home technology, is to make better use of all aspects of technology. Just in case you're a first-time listener, in our first segment, Tech Talk provides you the review of last week's most significant events in technology. We start with an increased coverage of New York's technology scene, and we follow this with an industry-wide report, which could contain information on conferences, announcements by vendors, new releases of software equipment, or new contract opportunities. One or more guests follow this from many aspects of business and industry, and if you wish us to consider a topic for a future show, you can email your suggestions to techtalk, that's T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K, at imi-us.com, and we'll get back to you pretty quickly. Anytime after our show introduction, please give us a call or send an email message with questions on today's topic or anything else we might be able to help you with. You can call 277-KFNX, that's 277-5369, and if you're outside the 602 listing area, call us toll-free at one 866 536 1100. You can send email questions uh, at that email address I gave you, techtalk at imi-us.com. And we're also being simulcast on the web, so if you can't get to your radio and you want to listen to us live, you can go to KFNX's website, which is 1100kfnx.com. And if you want to listen to this show again or any of our other shows, you can go to our website, which is imi-us.com. Click in the upper right-hand corner on the Tech Talk button, uh, it'll take you to the archives. All the shows are there. You can download them, send them to your friends, listen to them as many times as you want. It's free, so uh, please take advantage of that. And please call in any time during the show, and we'll try and get you on as quickly as possible. First segment's our Week in Review. It's your increased coverage of technology events in New York City and around the world. It's compiled by Dave Brandon, Dan DiOria, and Jose Batista. Okay, so we have uh, done a lot of shows on Bitcoin read a lot of Week in Review, and uh, now we learn from Cranes that New York State will adapt existing rules on money transmission to license digital currency firms. Uh, Financial Services Superintendent Benjamin Lawski said in remarks prepared for a conference in New York and Washington. In a statement delivered to a New America Foundation on Bitcoin, Mr. Lawski said, we do not have to throw out all of our existing rules for money transmitters or banks, which have generally served consumers well when vigorously enforced. He also said certain aspects 
And I think the key word there is vigorously enforced. He also said certain aspects of virtual currency could dovetail with existing regulations. New York will likely have to proceed with issuing some form of a specially tailored bit license that adapts those rules to the world of virtual currency. The Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network said in March that virtual currency businesses may be regulated as money transmitters. Since states license such companies, the decision set off a scramble by states to decide how to treat the embryonic industry. So we'll keep an eye on that as we have been doing for the last few years. And if anything exciting happens that you should be aware of or affects you directly, we'll let you know. Verizon Wireless has launched, launched its More Everything plan, as PC Magazine tells us, which includes more data, more storage, and more options. Starting at $45 per month, users can get double the data on selected plans, 25 gigabytes of cloud storage, an international aspect on all Verizon's 4G LTE network. New and existing customers first must decide how many devices they want on a plan and add up the monthly line access per device, $40 per month for smartphones, $30 for basic phones, and $10 for tablets, and select the date option. Verizon offers varying prices based on phones and Internet-only devices. Verizon More, that's an interesting name considering it's more, 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 also includes unlimited international messaging with unlimited domestic text, picture, and video messaging, similar to what T-Mobile has done in the past. Customers who opt for a Verizon Edge early upgrade program are eligible for $10 off monthly smartphone access for up to 8 gigabytes on data and 20 off monthly access on plans of 10 gigabytes and higher. More Everything subscribers can also track additional benefits like the security program family base and the international long-distance value plan free for the first three months and only $5 per month after. So if you're interested in that, you should check it out. Again, we're not um, pushing any of this, just giving you the news. Um, New York subway riders first were promised futuristic touchscreen wayfinding maps a year ago, but the plan to install the futuristic infrastructure stalled as the design team took a step back to improve the hardware. What a surprise. Six months overdue, the first batch is finally live in Grand Central Station. Over the last month, the first 18 MTA on-the-go kiosks were installed in the Grand Central subway station. Eight of them are split between the uptown and downtown sides of the major 4, 5, and 6 north-south arteries, and another 10 are scattered throughout the mezzanine above, the connect, above that connects the subway to the Centriole Rail Station. We can expect a wider rollout to more stations by the middle of the year. The screens are interactive navigation centers which serve real-time information about how to get where you're going and what service disruptions might get in the way. The project is a collaboration between the MTA and Control Group, a local design and technology consultancy firm. Importantly, the city isn't paying for them. Control Group is footing the bill in the hopes that the kiosks will eventually pay for themselves with advertising revenue. So that's pretty cool. Good savings. 
Comcast Corp. said it would buy Time Warner Cable, Inc. for $45.2 billion, Reuters tells us, in an all-stock deal that combines the two largest U.S. cable operators. The friendly takeover comes as a surprise after months of public pursuit of Time Warner Cable by smaller, smaller rival Charter Communications, Inc., and immediately raised questions as to whether it would pass scrutiny of antitrust regulators. Comcast will pay $158.82 per share, which is roughly what Time Warner Cable demanded from Charter. The new cable giant would tower over its closest video competitor, DirecTV, which has about 20 million video customers. If successful, the deal will be the second time in a little more than a year that Comcast has helped reshape the U.S. media landscape after its $17 billion acquisition of NB Universal was completed in 2013. Okay, and finally, did you miss out on the flappy bird craze? The star tells us that the frustrating yet simple game became an overnight sensation, but its creator pulled it from the Google Play Store recently, and it's no longer available. If you are late to the party... There are plenty of clones of Flappy Bird on the store that you can try out. However, you should be careful as several of the clones contain malware that could end up costing you a bomb, according to Sophus. The ones that malware with malware are capable of sending out messages to premium services which will result in unwanted charges, and according, uh, that's according to a security specialist, And even if you close the game, it can continue running in the background. That's not good. Sophos advises users to exercise caution when downloading apps from markets other than Google Play and also run an antivirus app to ensure that the devices are safe. In any case, prevention is still better than cure, so be very careful when you download your next Flappy Bird code. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, we're going to get to our guest, Robbie Baker, talk to you about the share economy. Um, Tom DiOrio, we're live on IMI's Tech Talk on February 16, 2014. We're on KFNX AM 1100 Talk Radio. Please stay tuned. We're going to be right back next. Welcome back to IMI Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOria, and it's the 16th of February, 2014, in snowy, icy, cold New York. Um, as I mentioned to you before the break, uh, we're going to be talking to Robbie Baxter about the technology behind the share economy. Hmm, share economy. Robbie Kelman Baxter is a sought-after consultant, and luckily we have her on the show, and a speaker with over 15 years of experience advising fast-growing companies in Silicon Valley from Netflix, Oracle, and Yahoo to dozens of successful venture-backed startups. Uh, Robbie has been advising businesses with subscription-based business models and driving substantial and consistent results for over a decade. Robbie frequently appears in major media outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, the San Francisco Chronicle, and CNN.com. An expert on subscription sharing and loyalty, as well as innovative business models in general, 
Robbie is currently working on a book from McGraw-Hill entitled The Membership Economy. We're all going to look forward to that. Robbie, thanks for taking the time to be with us. We really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so uh, for all of us, especially me, uh, why don't we start here at the beginning and tell our listeners what is share, not shared, it's share economy. Yeah, absolutely. The the share economy is a, a sustainable economic system, and it's built around the idea that you can share human and physical assets, usually when the assets are owned by the individuals and not the corporation. So some trendy examples that, that your listeners might have heard of or, or interacted with are Airbnb, Relay Rides, even Napster. Um, but you might also say that old-school businesses like timeshares and condominiums are, are also examples. Really? That's, that's interesting. Um, and I'm told that this somehow fits into the larger membership economy? What is a membership economy? Is that, so, is that why it fits within the condo model? Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of the most successful share economy businesses depend on a membership model because trust and security are so important when you're sharing physical assets. So the way I look at it, the share economy, or some people call it the sharing economy, is really a subset of the bigger membership economy, or at least a heavily overlapping intersection, because the membership economy includes all of these sustainable economic systems that rely on membership and belonging, like subscription businesses, clubs, associations, and loyalty programs. Okay, so something like Costco would fit under the membership economy. Absolutely. Okay, and then what's the what's where's the the line here? If share economy is a subset of the membership economy, what subset is it? I don't know if that's a if that's that question makes sense. I'm just trying to figure out where the share economy fits under the membership economy. The membership economy, I guess, has been around a lot longer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the share economy. When when people talk about that, they're usually talking about people sharing stuff that belongs to other people. So, for example, with relay rides, you might come out to San Francisco, where I live, and not want to rent a car, but you might want to borrow a car, and I might have my car that's available through relay rides for you to borrow. So, you know, that's a share economy business. On the other hand, Netflix, uh, which is a company that, I, that I've done a lot of work with over the years, they have a, a real membership economy business uh, where we're all accessing something through our membership in Netflix. We're accessing you know, video content. Uh, however, in that case, the content belongs to the company, not to the individuals. Does that make okay, sense? Okay, so share, share economy is, I gather, relatively new. Is, is that fair in, in the last... Five years is that is that a yeah, reasonable? Yeah, yeah, it's it's very trendy too. I mean, you can you can point to things like um, you know sharing uh, you know condominiums where we all pay in and then we we own the building together. That's kind of an example of shared economy that is that is old. But for the most part, this is a very new a very new term uh, that I think has really been coined only in the last. I would say just the last three to five years. Okay, so why now? I mean, why is this taking off um, 
and it is trendy. So do you think it'll last or or morph into something else? Um, I think I think it will last. Um, I think changes in technology have really enabled it because you know, as I said before, a big part of what enables a large scale share economy business is uh, is, is trust. And in order to, you know, the Internet has enabled people to know each other, connect with each other, and build trusted systems. The fact that that we have always-on access, that we have mobile devices with us, and we can connect at any time makes it easier and more efficient to share. So, you know, 10 years ago, if you and I wanted to, to share a car, and we didn't know each other, it would be very hard for us to connect up and realize that you were going to be in the place where my car was going to be parked all day so you could borrow it. But now, because of technology, it's a lot easier for us to recognize that my asset is not being used and that you need it during that time period. So what technology are we using to do that? Just social media? I mean, how... If I if I come into San Francisco from New York and I need a car for today and I happen to uh, be at a hotel near where your car is parked, how do how do I find that out? I go well, on well, there's a couple of things. I go so on, on the, one on the of these front end, uh, sites. The, the part that you and I experience as members is that's social media and that's always on access, that's mo- mobility that you've got to, you know, it's not just that that it's social media, but it's social media in your hand while you're walking around, combined with geolocation, right? So you can you can GPS where you are and and where my car is. But the the back end, you know, for your for your listeners who are really interested in the technology side, the big data and the logistical technology that is figuring all of this out and determining which which cars to show you, and also evaluating in real time whether you're trustworthy and I'm trustworthy, that's, that's the other piece um, that I don't think that we see, but that is, is running in the background and enabling this. Now, is this, is this industry-dependent or industry-focused? Um, have you know, Is this pervasive now, or is this just in certain areas? Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question. I mean, one of... One of the things that I'm that I'm thinking about in my book is, you know, when does this make sense? And for, there's a lot of different industries that are being transformed by these major trends. But I think that that the ones that are being transformed the most quickly and that are the first ones to be transformed are have have uh, two two key uh, two key things in common. One of them is that there's an expensive asset. Right, so this is—we're talking mostly. You know, what you what you hear about is cars. You hear about uh, uh, real estate, vacation homes, and, and and hotels. And you're also hearing about expensive collections. So, you know, if I have access to, let's say, like bag borrow or steel, which has uh, people that have very expensive uh, handbags and purses that are that are sharing their purses with other people. So, you know, if I have a fancy event and I want a $5,000 Prada purse just for that event, but I'm never going to wear it again, I can borrow it for 100 bucks and then re- return it later. So, you know, it, it has to do with the two things. One of them is having a collection and the other is, is, a, is an expensive asset that, that isn't always being utilized. So my vacation house sits empty. Uh, when I park my car at my office in the morning, it sits unused until 6 o'clock in the evening, those are 
those are the kinds of industries that are being transformed first. Okay, we're going to take a break. Um, I'd I'd like to ask you uh, when we come back um, if this is a a panacea or if there are problems. Like, for example, I borrow your car, you get to work at 8 o'clock, I borrow your car, you need it back at 4, and I don't get there until 7. You know, how does that all work? Uh, So uh, bear with us. We're going to take a break. I'm Tom DiOrio. We're on IMI's uh, Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. It's the 16th of February 2014, and we're talking to Robbie Baxter about the technology behind the share economy. Please stay. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOrio. It's the 16th of February, 2014, and we're talking to Robbie Baxter about the technology behind the share economy. And uh, before the break, um, I was just wondering out loud whether or not share economy creates a problem. Um, Even though I'm using a, a web service to put us together, um, what happens if I if I don't get the car back to you? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I I, I think this is this is no different than any other kind of borrowing or renting business. In that, if you don't honor the terms of our agreement, you you lose out. And if I don't like the way that it's working, I can always pull out and. There's usually with with most of these businesses, and and this varies um, with the different with these different new economy businesses. There's insurance systems in place so that, for example, if my car is late with relay rides, that's just too bad for me uh, for this one time, and and we work it out in some way. There's a little financial uh, hit that I get, but on the other hand, um, if you dent my car they have ways of getting that money so that my car is paid for. So some of the security is built in, and some of the risk is, is borne uh, on both sides. So they're still, I would say they're still figuring out the kinks. It's not a perfect system, but these are exactly the kinds of issues that these, uh, that these businesses are, are trying to figure out right now. Okay, yeah, because a whole bunch of other things come to mind, like uh, so you're inconvenienced for two hours, but you get reimbursed because I gather they have uh, my credit card number, so they charge me some outrageous fee for those extra two hours. Uh, and and I assume they have insurance in place, so if I, you know, put a ding in your car, it's not your problem, it's somebody else's problem. Um, right, right, exactly. But, but it is, you are bringing up a good point, which is that any time that you that you create a new business model, which which I would say that companies have to be thinking about all the time, especially as technology is changing so quickly and enabling all kinds of new ways to create new value for customers, that, that even as you're thinking about that, there are always these, these kinks that have to be worked through. And if you, if you look at um, review sites for, for Airbnb or, or Relay Rides or Bag Borrow and Steal or any of these share economy businesses, you see the complaints. And then you see them, you know, you see the companies frantically working to find solutions and put in place better measures uh, for, for future. Yeah, I guess you need to protect both sides because you tell me you have a 2002 Audi 
and it's a 2002 Audi, but it's in really ratty condition. Um, right, exactly. Or the tank's empty. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Or the lights don't work, <laughs> and you're borrowing it at night. There, there's all kinds of things that can go wrong. Yeah, now, obviously, this is going to affect some of the traditional businesses. I mean, I don't think it's going to put Avis out of business, but uh, I could see, assuming that the prices are are reasonable and the convenience is there, that it could eat away at some of their business. Do you, do you see, I mean, I, I, I gather it's not a, uh, an issue yet, but do you see that as, as a trend moving forward? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think that, you know, I, I'm here in, in Silicon Valley where a lot of these companies have their roots, and I've worked with a lot of companies that start as small, quirky, interesting little business models and end up destroying much, much larger companies. And, and one example, this is, not, this, is, this is more of a membership economy business than a share economy example, but if you look at Netflix, when they started, um, they got a lot of support from, from the movie studios um, and even from uh, rental places because nobody thought they were a threat. They saw it as a niche business. And, and over a period of time, I would argue that Netflix first, you know, really put Blockbuster out of business which I think was shocking to Blockbuster how quickly that transformation happened. And, and then they've gone on to really force a lot of the content, uh, content providers and content creators to rethink how they create and distribute content. So what I, what I would say is that you know, big companies need to really think about how technology is transforming the possibilities of what's available for consumers, so you know your example of of Avis, right? There's there's rental cars. There's also taxis, right? So so when you come to California and you borrow my 2002 Audi, instead of catching a taxi, you know that's that's putting a dent in their income. And you know Uber is another option if you don't want to drive the car yourself, but you want somebody else to take you around the city. That's another new economy option that you have. So you know, Avis needs to think very hard about, you know, what this is going to do for their rental business and what it says, more importantly, about what consumers want. Why would you borrow my car or rent my car from me or take Uber rather than getting a car from Avis at the airport? I would have to think the major motivation would be either convenience or cost. Absolutely. Uh, Convenience, Um, yeah, exactly. Oh, if I'm landing at SFO and, you know, take a bus to the Avis lot, I get my car and I go on my way and I pay a lot of money. But if I'm going to rent your car because I'm only there for a day, how do I get to your car? Right. So so it may not, for, for, for that occasion, it may not make sense. But let's say that you're... You're going to be in the Bay Area for three days, and for two of those days, you're going to be staying in San Francisco at the Intercontinental Hotel where parking your car is $55 a day, and, and you're, not, you're only going to need a car for one day. So on that middle day when you're driving down to Menlo Park, you can walk around the corner, borrow, the car, you know, borrow my car that's, that's in front of my office or in front of my home, and drive that. That's way more convenient than, than Avis, plus you don't have to pay the rental car fee for the two days you're not renting, and the $55 a day parking fee. So, so in that, it just makes sense. It gives you choices, and it really comes down to what's your specific need, and it's really looking at these specific niches of consumer need. 
Now, where does Zipcar? I don't know if you're familiar with Zipcar, but I see them running yeah. around. Oh, you know, get a car when you need a car. Is that a yeah. uh, membership economy thing? That's that not one quite is a, a membership scare, economy company because owned? because those cars belong to the company. So with with okay. relay rides, you're driving Robbie's car. With Zipcar, Zipcar has their own cars that are available, and it's the same idea that there's an inventory of Zipcars, and you can, if you're a member, you can look on your phone and see if there's a Zipcar near you. Okay, so that's a membership thing, not a share thing. Yeah, because you're not you're not sharing somebody else's stuff. You're you're basically renting Zipcar's fleet. So we we touched on a little bit on the um, the metrics. Like, is it a cost thing, a convenience thing? What are the metrics that are going to make this success or a failure? Yeah. Well, so so for sharing, you want to you know the first thing you want to look at is whether there's sufficient supply for even the first demand. And that's often the hardest the hardest piece is that you need to, in many cases, have critical mass before it becomes worthwhile to even the first person. So if you can imagine the first person who wanted to use Uber, you know, there has to be a car out there <laughs> to pick them up. So, you know, that's, that's one question is do you have saturation? You know, you, and, and so you have to really invest quickly and aggressively in a market. Um, the second thing, once the business is up and running, you really want to look at engagement. So how much are the, you know, how, how frequently are these things being used? Are people getting it used enough that they stay active as members? Um, and you want to look at uh, repeat business because in any kind of membership business, loyalty and recurring revenue are critical. So, so um, attracting that customer the first time is very hard because you're asking them to do something in a different way in most cases. Um, so they're spending a lot to get you to do it the first time, and they're really hoping that you'll do it a lot more times. So retention and engagement on an ongoing basis is, are, are much more important metrics in membership and share economy businesses than they are in more transactional businesses. Okay, I want to follow up on that. We're going to have to take a break. Uh, this is Tom Dioria. We're live on IMI's Tech Talk on KFX AM 1100. It's February 16, 2014, and we're talking to Robbie Baxter about share economy. Uh, please stay tuned. We're going to be right back after these messages. Welcome back to IMI's Tech Talk on KFNX AM 1100. I'm Tom DiOrio. We're talking to Robbie Baxter about share economy. It's the 16th of February, 2014. And before I get back to the metrics of share economy, um, Robbie, in the introduction, we mentioned that you're writing a book called The Membership Economy. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the membership economy is about this major transformation that we're seeing from access uh, from ownership to access, um, and and all of the different ways that companies can respond to that consumer need, where they want to belong and have access more than they want to own and have the control and the responsibility that goes with ownership. So it's oh, a huge okay. trend that's changing almost every industry uh, as, as we as That's going to be interesting. When do you expect it out? 
It's coming out in the in the spring of next year, about a year from today. Okay, great. So we'll have you on before that, and you can plug it again. Great. Uh, Thank if you. If our listeners want to follow up with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they can they can follow me on Twitter, um, Robbie Bax. Uh, they can come to my website, PeninsulaStrategies.com, or they can email me, uh, rbaxter at PeninsulaStrategies.com. Okay, so I want to get back to the the metric issue, um, and you and you brought up excellent points of how these what these uh, share uh, economy companies need to do, and I just wanted to ask you how's it going. In other words, um, it sounds to me like if I have a car that I don't mind somebody else driving, which in my case I would never let anybody drive my car, but if I was a person that <laughs> that did that, and my car does sit idle for, you know, seven, eight hours a day, are they get, it would seem a logical thing that I could make a little extra money for letting people drive my car. I mean, uh, is it catching on? Is it is it just localized right now out on the West Coast, or is it spreading across the country? Uh, it's it's spreading across the country, um, but it is, it is, it both, so the answer to your questions is yes and yes. Yes, you can make a little money on the side. Yes, it appeals to a lot of people, to a big, I would say a big subset of people because it's green, because it allows people to make money on the side, or to some extent removes a middleman. Um, but definitely, yes, it's starting on the coasts. And that's, I think, true of, of many of the technology trends that I've seen. They, they tend to start, you know, they start on the West Coast, New York, Boston, D.C., and, you know, they slowly make their way to the middle of, of the country. Yeah. And, and, in, and in cases of the, of the shared economy where you need these critical critical mass in order for the business to make sense for, for things like um, like Airbnb, like where it's where it's real estate or, or cars, bigger bigger assets, um, you really need to have critical mass in a local market before you can move on. But I would gather, just thinking about the model, that you can build up to the critical mass because. If I want to take advantage of it because it's going to save me, I'm making up a number, 50% on my car rental, and it's a lot more convenient. Um, if I can't use it today because there aren't any cars as advantage, then I go to the traditional, um, you know, car rental company, but I'll try it again the next time. I mean, is that is that something that you're seeing as, as this unfolds? No, um, actually... I wish that there were more people like you who were open-minded and willing to give something a try and not put too much too much weight on your first experience. But, but unfortunately, a lot of people try something once, and if it doesn't go smoothly, if they don't have the full successful experience, they tell everybody they know that the, that the business is a sham. So, for example, they'll say, oh, I know Uber. You know, I tried to get a car on New Year's Eve in San Francisco, and, and I couldn't get one. <laughs> It's terrible. They don't. It doesn't really work. Yeah, right. So, so what these companies right. are finding is um, we yeah. touched briefly on on traditional businesses having to watch their back when somebody's mucking around, and I use that term lovingly uh, <laughs> in their space. Um, what other other advice can you give to that side of the equation in terms of constantly watching their model for? competitors like this that could, you know, completely change the dynamics. Yeah, I think that the most important thing is is to be to be interested, to be 
curious, not furious. So, in other words, when somebody comes up with a new business and it's very small, not not to get worked up immediately, but to be curious and to try to understand why they exist, who's buying it, what niche they're meeting, and just keep on. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to jump on every new bandwagon that comes along, but it is important to give credence to these entrepreneurs who have new ideas and to pay attention. Um, I'm surprised when I talk to big companies and they tell, you know, a few years ago I worked with a very large company that was in the, um, the as one of many businesses they were in, in the uh, film and photo business, and they weren't taking Shutterfly seriously. You know, they just didn't see, they said, well, they're small and these are all their problems, and, you know, flash forward, that's how people... You know, most people now, that's how they get their prints done. And a lot of the time, they don't even use prints anymore. We use all this digital imagery. So, you know, gotta, you got to keep your eyes open. Now, I have an interesting question here. I'm not sure what it means, so you'll have to tell me. It says, what about free? Do you need to give anything away? Yeah, so... This is a question, I, I actually get asked this a lot when, when companies are thinking about new models. Um, they want to give stuff away. They, you know, there's been a lot written about freemium and about free trial and about, you know, people will say, oh, you know, I'm getting this for free or I'm trying this for free or, you know, Google Express right now is very hot out here where you can get stuff delivered to your house from Target or the grocery store or any number of local merchants for free for six months. And, you know, sometimes free is a great way to get people aware of what you're doing, but I think some companies don't think it all the way through. And so they either give stuff away to people who wouldn't really be good customers at full price, or they get people's expectations to the point where they expect to get it for free. So, you know, that's a case of what's happened with the music industry. Um, Started probably first by Napster giving away music without acknowledging the, the, the copyright, but it's made it very hard now that, you know, for the music uh, for the music producers and companies to get people to pay those premiums um, because they got used to getting everything for free. It's been a, it's been a big battle. Okay. We have a minute left. Uh, any last thoughts? Uh, you know, it, these, these two trends, share and membership, are very important right now, but there's other trends all the time, and I I think it's great that you're covering them and giving companies, especially the big ones, a a chance to look at them and think about how they might be impacted. It's really important. All right, Robbie, thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate this. This was uh, uh, a good education uh, for me and I'm sure for our listeners. Great. Well, you're very welcome. I enjoyed being on your show, Tom. Thank you. Great. I want to thank uh, Terry Giro, IMI's president, Dave Brandon, Dan DiOri, and Jose Batista for the Week in Review. Taylor Redden's our producer, Matt Gimpagny is our executive producer, and without Robert Bomback from the KFNX production department, not a word you would hear. Thanks again for listening, and please don't forget to tune in to Tech Talk next week at 5 p.m. in New York on KFNX AM 1100, when hopefully we'll have less snow and less cold. And remember to send us your suggestions for future shows or ask us questions by sending an email to techtalk at imi-us.com. Have a great week, and thanks again for listening.